Today's scripture reading is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you all. Uh, My name is Reed Kappel. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new, if you're a guest, uh, we're glad you're here. It's a joy to be with you as we are worshiping together in this season of Advent, remembering the time in which our God has entered our story with us. Um, As we we continue in worship, I want to pray for our time as we continue to hear from God's Word uh, together. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to recognize that we, we enter into this time and this space with various distractions and hurdles and impediments that keep us from hearing you, seeing you, trusting you, and delighting in you. Lord, we also come into this space and this time bringing various challenges and hardships, weights and burdens that seem beyond what we can handle. And so, Lord, I ask that in this moment you would meet us where we are, that you would open our eyes to see and behold wondrous things from your word, And so, Lord, would this time now be honoring to you, edifying to us, would the words of my mouth, would the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. One thing uh, about me is that I I, I like documentaries. Uh, I I really enjoy those, especially documentaries that have anything to do with um, kind of human endurance or, or learning the abilities of what, what humans are capable of accomplishing. And uh, recently, I just watched a documentary called 14 Peaks. Uh, it is the story uh, of a Nepalese alpine climber by the name of Nims Perja. And, and Nims was set out basically to uh, climb all of the world's uh, 14 mountains that are above 8,000 meters, okay? And so that means uh, mountains that are about 26,000 feet uh, above sea level. And, and so it's a remarkable story. In fact, the first person to do this, to climb all 14 peaks, uh, was Reinhold Mesner. He did it in 16 years. That's how long it took him. Uh, the fastest person to climb all 14 peaks was a South Korean climber by the name of Kim Chong Ho, who did it in about seven years, Nims set out to do the same accomplishment, to accomplish all 14 peaks in seven months. It's, it's a remarkable story, and check it out, it's really wonderful. And I, I won't give away the, the storyline or anything like that, but I, I want to, to share, there's a scene in it that I think connects to a little bit of what we want to talk about in this name of God we'll be exploring. There's, there's a scene where Nims is coming down from the second peak that he's summited, and as he's coming down, he comes across a climber 
that has been separated from his group. And so this climber is all by himself. Uh, he is clearly not in good condition. His health is failing. And so Nims is trying to care for and comfort this man. And, there, and there's precious little that he can offer him because Nims himself has no oxygen. He's, his oxygen tank is empty. Uh, he is able to radio down to base, but given the location on the mountain and the weather conditions they're in, they were able to do nothing for him. And, and so, so Nims is holding this man, this stranger he's come across, on this mountain in the dark and the cold, all alone. And in the film, you hear Nims say over and over, no one is coming. No one is coming. There is no one coming to help us. And it's this really sad moment because in this moment, this man perishes in Nims' arms. With, with the hope of rescue that is not to come, I mean, Nims is completely helpless and hopeless. And, and even, if, even if you've never been to the Himalayas or never even been on a mountain, you can feel the despair, the sorrow, the helplessness and hopelessness of this cry that no one is coming, no help is on the horizon. I, I share this story as a way to kind of even ask ourselves this question, what do we do when we get to this point in life, either literally or, or existentially, when we ask ourselves this question, are we alone? Is there any help coming? Is there anyone out there? Is God really with us? I think for many of us, we're able to kind of distract ourselves from this question uh, through various things like our devices or through fantasy football or whatever it may be. Like we're able to distract ourselves from really pondering this serious, heavy question, are we alone in the universe? But when we are forced to slow down, even though there are things that can distract us, when we are forced to slow down and to ponder our lives, and when we are forced to do so, either by a, a trauma or a crisis of some kind, what we find is that there is a, a response that is demanded of us, a response of asking this question, are we alone? And I know that we would rather ignore that question and kind of just get along with kind of celebrating Christmas in a very festive way, but, but what I think we need to do uniquely in the season of Advent is to ask this question, are we alone? Ask it of one another, to be honest with it, to stare it right in the eyes, but to do so with the name Emmanuel in our field of vision. Are we alone in this world? Is there any help coming and what we're going to see together as we turn to this unique name of God for this season is this one idea that the birth of Christ puts to death our fears. The birth of Christ puts to death our fears. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been exploring uh, the season of Advent, the story and the time in which God enters into our world in the person of Jesus. We've been doing that by looking at the various names of God throughout Scripture, and we come to perhaps the most familiar name uh, in the Scriptures, especially as it relates to the season of Christmas, the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we're going to look at this idea that the birth of Christ puts to death our fears, and we're going to do so by looking at multiple texts that kind of ex express and display this meaning of Emmanuel. Now, we heard in our Scripture reading that that name, Emmanuel, as given to Jesus uh, at his birth as the angel spoke to Joseph. But the, that's not the first time we actually see this name in the biblical storyline. The first time, we actually have to rewind 700 years to go back and hear these words. In the prophet Isaiah, uh, God speaks through Isaiah these words in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, as a side note, one of my favorite things about Christmas, about this season, is that it's a unique season that I think displays the beauty and the power of God's Word, of the Scriptures, particularly because Christmas is a celebration of, of the Messiah that has been promised of old, the, the Messiah that, that God promised, prophesied, predicted, and pointed to throughout the entire biblical storyline. And what we see is that when we read Matthew's account that we just heard, and then Isaiah's account, we see how the Bible, yes, it is a collection of stories, but it's these stories that come together to tell one story that centers on King Jesus. And so Christmas, in many ways, is a season that teaches us how to read the Bible, how to put it together, how to see that the collection of stories here is not just a random collection of religious teachings or spiritual musings, but they come together to tell one story. And as you read any passage of Scripture, you have to do so by looking first at its its immediate context. What is the literary context, its historical context, its cultural context? But, but as faithful followers of Jesus, we should also, as we read the scriptures, step back and look at the passage in light of its broader context, not just in what is happening in this moment in time, but how this story fits into the broader story. We, we need to read it in terms of its redemptive context, its canonical context, in, in light of how it fits into the whole narrative of God's plan of redeeming and restoring all things through Jesus. And so in one sense, what this means is that as you're reading Scripture, we have to look at Scripture through a a zoomed-in lens and through a wide-angle lens at the same time. And so I've done this before. I want to illustrate this with you. So I I have a picture of a a zoomed-in item. Let's see if you can guess what this is. Any guesses as to what this is? Anybody? Anybody? Cantaloupe. We've got a winner. You guys are smarter than first service. That's good. Congratulations. All right. uh, So this uh, second question or second picture. Here we go. Here we go. Any guesses? Chili? No, no, no chili. Close. So close. The answer is coffee. We'll, we'll, we'll accept hot chocolate. We'll accept hot chocolate. Okay, uh, third, third picture. Third picture. This one's going to be trickier. A potato, a croissant. No, I, if anybody gets this, it's a sign you're probably drinking too much champagne during Christmas, all right? Because, because the image is, it's a cork. It's a cork. That one, that one was much more difficult, okay? The, 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 re, the reason I'm sharing these images is to illustrate that if we simply look at a passage of Scripture through the zoomed-in lens, we're we're getting detail and we're seeing things that maybe we couldn't see if we just had the wide-angle lens. But if we only keep a zoomed-in lens, we're not seeing the, the broader picture. We lose the forest for the trees. In the same way, if we are to faithfully read the Bible and understand its message, we must see it in its immediate context and its broader context. And so what we see, so for example, in the immediate context of Isaiah, we get some general ideas of what it means that God is Emmanuel, that God is with us. Because in this context, Israel is facing a time where they are under the threat of military invasion. And so the reality of God being with them in that moment is unique. And there are things that we can learn and pull from that, but, but to understand Emmanuel, we need to first see the context that God is speaking to Israel through, but then to fully grasp what Emmanuel means, we must step back and see the broad picture and that the fullness of what it means that God is with us is actually made manifest in the person of Jesus. 
So, so what I want to do, we're going to get to that, but I want to kind of keep our zoomed-in lens on for a moment as we look at Isaiah and how he displays for us what it means that God is Emmanuel, that God is with us. And so we see that Isaiah, as he shows what this idea of Emmanuel means, we see this in Isaiah chapter 41. There's a language that Isaiah employs here to help us see what does it mean that God is Emmanuel. And in chapter 41, verse 10, we read these words, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So through Isaiah, God is speaking a very profound word to his people in this time about their fears and about their questions of if they will be left alone during this time of great threat and invasion. But he's also speaking boldly to them that they are never alone. He's showing them that, yes, while they are facing threats around them, that the God of highest heaven is present with them and that the antidote to their fears is found in the name that God has revealed to us in Isaiah chapter 7. Emmanuel, God is with us. And uniquely, that God is always with us. Isaiah kind of shows this this idea of constancy of God's presence in verse 10 as we read this this word, uphold. The word uphold in verse 10, it, it means to sustain or to keep up in an ongoing fashion. It's, it's not the idea of like lifting a child over a crowd so that they can see. It's this idea of building a foundation that, that something can stand on consistently without fear of falling. This idea of upholding God's people is not a one-time event. It is a re- reality of God's presence that is constant with us. And when we are mindful of this, when we are aware, when we are in tune and attentive to the fact that God is with us, what, what we see in this promise in Isaiah 41 is that we will not be dismayed. And so what God is doing is he's connecting the understanding that he is with us to our, our, um, our present realities of how we feel fear and anxiety around things that plague us. Because that word dismayed in verse 10 uh, we, we don't use that word very often in our English dialogue. You know, I feel very dismayed today, my dear. Like, we, we don't say that around the dinner table or with friends. Uh, but the word, it's, it's the, the English translation of the Hebrew word sha'ah. And, and that word sha'ah, it literally means to dart your eyes in every which direction. It's, it's this idea of, of not being sure of what's coming next. If you think of yourself like driving down a mountain pass during treacherous weather, you know, you're, like, you're, you're constantly looking around, your eyes are darting around because you're, you're in a very precarious situation. You're not, you're not quite sure what's going to happen next. It's, it's very akin to our word anxiety, this idea of being in a constant state of not knowing what's coming next, not quite sure how things are going to pan out, not sure how I'm going to respond or what needs to be done in this moment. And, and I say that because I, I know that anxiety is something that many of us face and deal with and struggle with. In fact, I can't, I mean, very, very few weeks go by where we as a church staff don't have a prayer request from our beloved church family, someone sharing their struggles with anxiety. It's real. It's pervasive. It's prominent. And, and as a side note, what I would say is if that is something that you struggle with and wrestle with, we, we want you to know we love you and we care for you. We want to come alongside you. We want to help you find the help you might need as you face and struggle with anxiety. And, and, and I want to say, too, I've said this before, 
I, I firmly believe and recognize there's a, a clinical form of, of anxiety that requires a clinical uh, treatment at times, for sure. But, but I also wonder how much of our day-to-day anxiety, our day-to-day fears, our day-to-day worries about life, how much of them are actually rooted in the fear that we are alone? How much of our day-to-day anxiety and fears and worries are really that behind those worries is the question, are we alone in this world? The fear that we are left by ourselves on the mountain, in the dark, in the cold, with no one coming to our rescue. How much of our fears and anxieties are rooted in the fear that God's name is not Emmanuel? And Isaiah gives us a word of comfort and reminder in these moments, in verses 12 and 13. Those who war against you, so he's speaking to Israel, remember, the, the, the impending threat of military invasion over Israel. Those that war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And so what I love, the contrast between that passage and what we read in verse 10, you you see God upholding us by his right hand, but then you also see in this passage that God is holding our right hand. This stark contrast between this, this imagery of war that threatens us, the remedy that God offers is simply holding our hand, which may sound very trite and not enough for this moment, but it says something more to the power of God that what is needed in times of war against us is that the God of highest heaven would just simply hold our hand as a tender and loving parent. I think that the greatest remedy to our fears and to our questions of whether or not we are alone in this world are found in beholding and believing in Emmanuel, in declaring and in delighting in this truth that God is with us delighting in the beauty that there is a wise, loving, just God who is in control, who is with us, who desires our good, and who upholds us through the fire and the flood in all of life. And church, what's so unique is that as we hear these words of Isaiah, we on this side of redemptive history have a greater assurance and clarity as to what Isaiah is speaking about. On this side of redemptive history, we have the ability of seeing through the wide-angle lens of what this picture of Emmanuel means for us, because we have the benefit of seeing the fulfillment of what God, as Emmanuel who is with us, is, is manifested in the person of Jesus. Because what Isaiah knew in part, we have the blessed opportunity to know more fully. Because on this side of the dirty manger, On on this side of the bloody cross, on this side of the empty tomb, we see the fuller power and the presence that God is with us. Not just because of the name Emmanuel that is given to the Christ child, but because of the second name that we see associated with Emmanuel in Matthew's accounts, precisely or namely the name Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we heard these words earlier. And she, referring to Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
At the birth of Christ, we see these two names coming together. Emmanuel, God is with us, and Jesus, which means God saves. So the reason, church, the reason why the birth of Christ puts to death our fears is because it begins the work of putting to death death itself. I'm going to say that one more time. The reason why the birth of Christ puts to death our fears is because it begins the work of putting death itself to death. And when you couple these names together of Emmanuel, God is with us, Jesus, God saves, we have an assurance and a promise of what has been declared that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that he upholds us, that we need not fear or be dismayed because the God who rescues us from sin and death itself is with us. The reason we know that God is with us is because he has come to be with us in Christ. And not only has he come to us, he has drawn near to us, so close, in fact, that he is able to identify with us. We don't just worship a God who condescended and spent some time and then is absent from us. We have a God who is drawn near, becomes like us in order that we might become like him. What we see in the Christmas story of Emmanuel coming in the person of Jesus is that God has come and entered our world to identify with us, to suffer alongside us, and to be the atoning sacrifice for us. You see, the name Emmanuel, when understood, when we step back and see it through the wide-angle lens of the story of God, the name Emmanuel communicates to us that our fears have been put to death, because God is with us and has drawn near to us. But Emmanuel also puts to death our fears of shame, because in the name of Jesus, we see that Emmanuel has come to draw us near by the power of his gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in declaring what Christ, who is Emmanuel with us, he declares these words in Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so at Christmas, we remember and celebrate that God drew near, but part of what that means is that by him drawing near to us, he draws us nearer still. In the story of Christmas, the power of Emmanuel, of God's abiding, loving presence, is amplified and it's magnified when we see that the God who is with us is Christ the Messiah, who has come to save us. Because his presence, the presence of God, is not merely a salve to our fear and loneliness. It is a salvation to our sin and brokenness. The presence of God is not simply a salve to our fear and loneliness. It is salvation to our sin and brokenness. When we understand the name Emmanuel and Jesus brought together, it clarifies and fulfills and widens the scope of what it means that God is with us and present. Pastor Tim Keller, he describes the power of Emmanuel, what this name means in its fullness in this way. He says, there are three truths in Emmanuel. He is God, he is human, and he is with us. It would have been astonishing enough if the Son of God had become human and temporarily lived among us and then left, leaving a set of teachings. That would be astonishing. But his designs were infinitely greater than that. In Jesus, the ineffable, unapproachable God becomes a human being who who can be known and loved, and through faith, we can know this love. What we celebrate at Christmas in the name of Emmanuel is not just that God is present with us in our fears, although that is absolutely true, but that he is present with us 
in such a way that he is able to bring a remedy to our fears and to our shame and to sin and to death itself. The power of God's saving, loving, and abiding presence is a power and comfort to us in this season that Christmas reminds us of. And, and if, I, if I can just speak a, a bit transparently here, like the, the, the truth of God's presence, the truth of God's loving presence with us that is constant and never leaves us, it is, it's a truth that has just meant a great deal to me in, in recent months. In fact, several months ago, I haven't shared this with very many people, um, I told first service first, I, I can't fault. That. So if you would have come to first service, you would have heard it first. But, but uh, several months ago, there, I started to notice that when I would wake up on Sunday mornings, the moment I woke up, I would, I would just hear this, it wasn't an audible voice, but I just, I just heard this phrase repeated in my head, why am I doing this? And, and I didn't think much of it at first, because I, I just kind of chalked it up to me kind of telling myself like, oh, Sunday's hard, it's a, it's a long day, it's going to be exhausting, you know, and so I just, I didn't think much of it, but, but it so subtly began to shift from, from a first-person statement to a second-person statement, where what I first heard was, why am I doing this? It started to be, why are you doing this? And, and I don't use this terminology very often, but I, I felt like I was under a spiritual attack because for several months, I can't, I can't remember how long it was, but for several months, every Sunday morning, I would wake up and the first thought that entered my mind was, why are you doing this? And, and I, didn't, I didn't talk much about it. I just kind of dismissed it and disregarded it. But then, but then the statement grew legs. And it added another statement. And I kid you not, for several months, every Sunday morning when I woke up, preparing to come to be with the people I love, to do the thing that I love, I would hear this statement, why are you doing this? You are alone in the universe. And, and I just, I would listen to this. And this would be the first thing I heard every Sunday morning. And, and it, ate, it just ate away at me. Because I entertained those thoughts. And I was like, yeah, you're probably, I'm probably wasting my time. This is probably all just, just, just a farce. This is a red herring. Everything I'm doing is just a waste of time. I allowed these thoughts into the home of my mind. I allowed them to occupy a seat at the table of my heart, and I fed these ideas. And I just felt utterly crushed by them. But what happened shortly after that well, in, in these moments, I was tempted to believe the lie that God's name is not Emmanuel, that he is not with us, that he doesn't care, that we are alone in the universe, that we are alone on the mountain, that we are in dark, cold hopelessness. No one is coming. But then there was this Sunday morning where after hearing those words, spending some time in scripture, there was is, there is this word from God that, that he spoke to me from Psalm 28. And I mean, I, I've read Psalm 28, I mean, dozens of times throughout my life. I'm not bragging here, like, I've read the Bible so much, people, but, but the point being is that I've read this Psalm so much, and for whatever reason in this moment, the Holy Spirit was saying, listen to this, pay attention to this, because you have paid too much attention to lies, to the lie that you were alone, that what you're doing is a waste of time. And Psalm 28, verse 9 says this, O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. As I heard, as I heard those words, yeah, you can clap for that. That's, that's God's word. That's not my word. As I heard these words, like, what was so remarkable is that the lies that I heard for so long on repeat every Sunday morning, why are you doing this? You are alone in the universe, was replaced with this beautiful refrain and this promise from God, I am your shepherd. 
and I will carry you forever. I am your shepherd, and I will carry you forever. The Holy Spirit brought my full attention to these words again because I was living and believing the lie that we are alone in this world, in this universe. And the comfort that came from hearing the truth that Jesus is Emmanuel, that Jesus is our good shepherd and carries us forever, brought a balm and a comfort to me in ways that I, I just I can't describe. And, and the reason I'm sharing this, the reason I'm saying this is that as we prepare for Christmas, many of us come into this season with fears and anxieties, sorrows and pains. We've mentioned that a lot during this Advent season. And, and regardless, of, regardless of, of how it's made manifest, I am convinced that the root behind all of our fears all of our anxieties, all of our worries is the tempting lie to believe that God's name is not Emmanuel, that he is not with us, that we are alone on the mountain in the cold and the dark and that no one is coming for us. But my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit would break through these lies and speak to us afresh, that we would hear the name Emmanuel and believe what we sing and declare together during this season of Advent. O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Church, the birth of Christ puts to death our fears. Because in the birth of Christ, what we see is that God has come to be with us, to be our sacrificial lamb, to be our good shepherd who carries us forever. Amen? That is what we remember and celebrate at Christmas, that Emmanuel is not just a beautiful name that we sing, it is the promise that God has drawn near to us. And so he, here's what I want I to, I, I want to close with the, the lyrics of a song, and it's a song that's had a profound impact on me in my life, and uh, Patrick and I were talking about this earlier, that it's a song that's meant a great deal to him as well, and it was just fun just kind of even sharing that moment, but it's a song by, by the band Waterdeep, uh, they're a Christian band actually from Kansas City originally. Uh, but it's a song called The Worst Is My Being Alone. And as I, was, as I was reflecting on the beauty and the power of what Emmanuel means, this song came to mind. And, and while em- Emmanuel's name is not found within the song, his fingerprints are all over it. So j- just listen to these words, and may they be a comfort to us. May they speak and resonate to our hearts in this time. Aaron, have you ever had a burning in your chest that made you just want to be free? It was a warm afternoon when she asked him this as they sat on the shore of the sea. Well, Aaron just tugged at his hair and he took a very long time to reply. And by the time that he spoke, she'd forgotten she'd asked and was lost in the clouds of the sky. And he said, Kelly, I don't think I've ever wanted as much to be free as I've longed to be known. And of the things that I hate when I look at my life, the worst is my being alone. Of all the things known that could have spoken that day, he chose one from deep down inside. Without intending her to, he caused her to confess her false confidence in how she had lied. And she said, Aaron, I don't think I've ever wanted as much to be free as I've longed to be known. And of the things that I hate as I look at my life, the worst is my being alone. And as they headed home, neither of them could speak a word. And they held their own spirits to blame. But at the pulse of the waves, they both turned around. Surely someone was calling their name. Someone was calling their name. Church, the birth of Christ puts to death our fears. 
And may we see that through the Holy Spirit, may he speak to us afresh from this great name and tell us definitively, you are never alone. You are never alone. For the one whose name is Emmanuel, the one whose name is above all names, has come to call us by name and to call us his own. May we receive and respond to the truth of Emmanuel and Jesus, that God is with us and he has come to save us. Amen?